It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino, we give you our observations after going out to a couple of OU's training camp practices. Then Jeff Schwartz joins us to talk about his Oregon Ducks heading to the Big Ten and what it all means for college football. And then we give you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast. Rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those and you'll find us. All right. Our man, Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's beautiful Wednesday, August 9th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Eichert and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's normal casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of August, all you got to do is visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now recording this on Wednesday morning, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment while you're at it. Also, We've got one spot, maybe two, advertising spots left for the football season. If your business is interested, all you got to do is email the Oklahoma breakdown at gmail.com and we'll get you that information. Ted, it is training camp time, buddy. So fun. It's here. It's here. Yeah. Uh, training camp's rolling on and I don't know. It's It's been fairly quiet, which is a good thing, right? With training camps fairly quiet, so yeah, uh, exciting times right now. Now you have been out to a couple of practices. I went out to practice on Tuesday, right? So we uh we've got lots of observations to get to, but before we do that, potty training begins Thursday here at the Eichert household. Nice. Two year old's ready. He's told me he's ready. He's excited. He's excited for his potty, Ted, and I'm excited that he's excited. I know it. I've heard some stories, man. I know it's not going to be easy. I know there are going to be some accidents along the way. But my wife and I, we are excited for the challenge. And I'm just going to embrace it, man. I don't know. I don't know how how dirty it's going to get. But I I am I am going into the situation with the mentality that he's just going to be peeing and pooping everywhere. And I'm going to have to clean it up. 
So that's, I, I've got like worst case scenario in my mind going into it, but I think it's going to be great. I think he's going to thrive. Yeah. I think if I remember right, I, I think there was a lot of uh, parental angst going into it, but it ended up being almost like not even a thing. And I think the fact that your son knows it's coming and is excited about the challenge, I feel like you've already won 99% of the battle right there. You know, because I think when there's a reluctance, that's whatever things can get out of hand. But it sounds like you're, you're at a good spot. Yeah, and my my wife's got like she she's we have uh, listened to an audiobook, you know. So we we've, we've got a method. We've taken notes. We are going into it with a plan. I'm sure that plan will not work out perfectly, but we are prepared and excited. So we'll see how that goes. That so that's what I'm going to be doing the rest of this week. And this weekend is help helping the little guy direct his fluids. His uh, his excrement. You got your own training camp going on, huh? Yeah, training camp at the Iker household. (laughs) Yeah, different kind of training. All right, let's get to what we've seen. So you've been to a couple. um, I went to practice on Tuesday. The first thing that stands out to me is just how they're practicing. And I am... I'm not trying to make it sound like it's not physical. And one of the weird things, there are a bunch of the guys, the majority of the guys are wearing the guardian caps. There's just like no sound because the helmets aren't hitting. The helmets aren't hitting pads. Like it's, it's quiet. Now you still have got coaches yelling and I'm over there standing with Beatonbow. I mean, that guy is never quiet, but the lack of pads popping because those things are on the helmet. It's just so strange. It's hard to get used to. Yeah, I, it is, and I don't know. I didn't notice it until you mentioned it the other day, and it is right. Like the, it, it, you're almost missing the sneaker squeaking at basketball practice, right? Yes. Like it's just like this background noise that you don't even notice, but it's there, and it's it's kind of the sound of what's happening. So yeah, after you said that, I was like, this is uncomfortable. I I can't I can't watch a football practice like this. <laughs> it- People, people may think like, cause you and I are at the same practice right on Tuesday. People may think that, you know, we stand and talk and observe together. No, we're still, I go with the offense. You go with the defense. We go our separate ways. And, uh, that, that, that made me laugh when I was thinking about it, but, and this is something that was a discussion a year ago. I think they have, they're practicing differently than they did when we went out to practices at this time a year ago, uh, especially, you know, you're, you're talking about the nine on seven periods, the team sessions at the end of practice, uh, what they're doing. I I think Tuesday is the first time I've ever gone to a training camp camp practice where guys are wearing helmets and shoulder pads where they don't do O-line D line one-on-ones. Yeah. I, I can't ever remember not seeing that, but there was this discussion a year ago about how worn down the guys were early in the season, right? And how it seems like they ran out of gas way too earlier in the year. I think the staff listened to their players. I think they've made some adjustments to the practice structures. They haven't gone full pads yet. So, and remember last year we were talking about them 
tackling and absolutely getting after it in full pads. And it's, it seems like they are trying to reduce the wear and tear on their guys. Is is that kind of the same feeling you get? It's not that it's not physical. It's still, I mean, when they're going, when it's the competitive periods, they're actually, they're absolutely getting after it, but I don't know. I just, I, I think they are, I think they've made some changes after watching what happened last year. Yeah. And it may be that they've got a little bit longer of a ramping up period, if that makes sense, uh, to get guys acclimated and maybe to ease into it a little bit more. And then I think they they are spreading out their really difficult days a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, and I, I you do have to learn from, you know, not necessarily mistakes, but things that you did previously and, and how well they worked and what you got out of them and tinker with the, the schedule a little bit. And it, it seems right now that they're it, at least if the overall goal is to stay fresh and to stay healthy, then it seems like that's working so far, but you know, there's also going to be some, some really difficult days mixed in there. There just has to be, you know, there, there has to be. So, um, it's a fine balance, man. Finding the perfect level of, of physicality and, and you know, part of it is just getting the guys in the grind and you got to be tired and sore and you got to have some adversity and how do you respond to that? I mean, it's something you've got to train and test for. So, yeah, it seems like, seems like it's maybe just an extended ramping up period because what are they, five, six practices in now? Still pretty early on. Yeah, but ju- just think about us, right? Five, six practice. That first day when you were after the two, what was it, acclimatization or whatever the word is, practices, it was, hey, full pads, start practice with Oklahoma drill. Like that was mm-hmm. that was every year of my career. Yeah. And they're not doing the Oklahoma drill stuff that they did so often throughout spring ball and camp a year ago. Like I just think they they took a step back and went, how can we how can we have our guys be a little fresher throughout yeah. the season? So I I'm sure there's some sports science behind it, but it was just one of the things I noticed. You know, you go out there and you're like, okay, this is what they've been doing, and then they don't do it. And you're like, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. So yeah. I we'll we'll see. I I'm sure you're right. I'm sure it'll get a little more dialed up. Right, got the scrimmage on Saturday that that will undoubtedly be full pads, full contact, the whole thing. So we'll. We'll see how that progresses, but just just an interesting observation. All right, so you have you've been focusing on the defense, right? You've been over there correcting linebackers. Coach had your coach Ted hat on. What what has what's stood out so far defensively from what you've seen? I mean, there's there's quite a bit. I mean, you've got to start up front. the The interior defensive line they look. They look bigger. They look stronger. They look more physical. Um, there's some different bodies in there than there was a year ago. Uh, I, you know, you got the transfer and the the Terry kid from Tennessee, and he looks really good. And they've moved Laulu inside from that defensive end spot. And you got to remember, he's he had spring ball, and then what? They're they're a handful. Of, like he's still only probably like 20 practices in tops at playing in the interior. So that's He's still, you know, trying to get acclimated to that, but um, I think he's done really well. 
the D line to me has it has a chance as long as you know guys keep progressing and health doesn't become an issue. I I feel like that area could be a pretty big upgrade from a year ago. Yeah, and no offense to you know Jeffrey Johnson or anything like that, but there's definitely there's just there's no doubt there's been a talent upgrade on the interior and. I, I thought it was interesting that, you know, when the ones went against the ones, Lau was in that first group of interior yep. guys, right? Him and Dejon Terry, and it seems like Laulu is really starting to adjust to life in the muck, man. <laughs> He's starting yep. to adjust to life in the interior. I thought I, I was paying a lot of attention to his pad level, right? And individual drills when they were hitting bags, then what he was doing in the nine on seven periods. I'm impressed with how he's carrying that weight. I think by the time we kick this thing off, he's going to be 300 pounds. And I I liked what I saw from his pad level. That's And that's going to be a key piece for him, right? Being able to, as tall as he is to play with the lower pads, he looked like he's still, even with the weight gain, like he still bends well. He still has that athleticism you're looking for. He's gonna be he's gonna be a very important player for them. It's clear. Like we knew it, we knew that when Brent sent him the Big 12 Media Day, right? That that was an absolute, I mean, just set the sirens off and let you know. But the fact that he was in that first group when I was out there, that is I I think that says a lot. And I think it says a lot about how the staff feels about him. Yeah. No, I, you know, they they've got some stuff where you know, they're working some penetration and twist games and, and stuff up front. And I'll just tell you right now, whenever he, when he's going into a gap and penetrating, when they're running a, a twist, he's got some push now. And you know, just, just those two guys alone, if you're talking about Terry and Luulu, both of those are, are new guys to the interior. And, you know, you're talking about going about 320 with Dejon Terry and, Lulu six six going to be three bills. I mean, that's they're starting to look a little bit better on the interior. That's that's kind of what we've been been waiting on, and it's they're they're in a different world right now. It feels like than they were a year ago. Yeah, and you know, with Laulu emerging, with the addition of Terry, like I think that that's elevated Jordan Kelly's play. Right, yeah. talk to talk to a couple of the starting interior offensive linemen about. I say, hey, who's the suck to block right now? Jordan Kelly's name came up every time they said he's stronger. They said he's faster. They said he's more agile. Like the quickness has improved. It, it may be the fact that it's his last go, right? That's always a motivating factor, but this is a guy that has been a starter and I don't think he has any intention of giving up his starting spot. So the way I see it in the interior right now, you know, and Isaiah code didn't flash particularly to me, but we've seen him flash right in games in the past. So I think you're, you're, you're hoping to have six right on the interior of the defensive line, but Laulu, Co, Kelly, and then you, you throw Terry in there. I, I mean, that's a solid four and we'll see how the other one or two guys that may get into the rotation. We'll see how it works out. Cause you can, you can't play 10. You just, I mean, you just can't. Yeah. There's a couple of the younger guys that, you know, the, the weight isn't where 
you need it to be. I, they're eventually going to get there, but some of the young guys are playing really good football. Um, and they really Sanders. Like Sanders continues yep. to flash just a little light. Halton, kind of a similar yep. conversation. You just have to have got to have a little more sand in the pants, you know. You just, yep. but I, the, I, I, I think the rotation is is in a good spot. I think. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So one of the things that stood out to me is sticking on the defense. I don't know about you, man, but Ethan Downs looks noticeably thinner to me. Yeah. I mean, I'd say from, from a year ago, like during the season, like I'd say he's like 20 pounds lighter. And I'm not entirely sure why. I got to assume he didn't feel great at that heavier weight and didn't feel like he could move the way that he wanted to. But, yeah, that was just something. I went out there. It's like, man, 40. I was under the impression that he may even go the other way, like get even bigger, maybe play some, you know, some passing situation three technique or something like that, that maybe that was his future. But. No, he is – he's noticeably leaner than a year ago. Yeah, and I don't – I don't – I wouldn't say necessarily that that's, that's a, a problem. I, I I still think he's got plenty of punch, plenty of strength, uh, and still plenty of size there. But, you know, if you look back a year ago, he needed to be more active and needed to be uh, able to get off the ball a little bit better, be able to pursue, play that edge – little better with some some lateral movement whenever that you get put in a tough spot with some zone read stuff or um you know whenever people are running away from you i i don't have a problem with that is as long as he doesn't start getting pushed around which i don't i don't think is going to happen so i mean part of it makes me feel like it's really competitive there and there's some guys that have have really good get off and pass rushing skills and He's got to be able to be more explosive and be able to move a little bit better off the edge. We'll see. Yeah. I, I think Reggie Grimes still, I mean, looks the part, but yep. this is kind of where I'm at with Reggie. It's like, hey, you got to go produce. Right? You got to go make plays. Right? We all know he's a great guy. Uh, we all know that he's got the size, the weight, the length that you want. 
sometimes it you you get to the point like, hey man, you got to show me, you got to go do it. So it looks good out there, moving well. Uh, still, still not a twitchy guy, right? But we'll we'll just see where he's at. Our uh, Mason Thomas, I continue. You know, even though he was in a boot, one practicing, he is. He's a guy you just look at the physical development as compared to a year ago, and it's impressive. And you know, talk to some people at practice that think that uh, he potentially could be their most impactful player on the edge this season, right? Unless. PJ just completely takes off the way that the staff thinks he's going to. But when you talk about explosiveness, twitch as a pass rusher, you know, being able to hold the point better at the point of, um, you know, at the point of attack in the run game, like they think he is, they think he's going to make a big jump this year. So it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, you get rolled up a little bit and you got to miss some time. Yeah. The thing I'm worried about with him is, I I don't have any doubt that he's their best pass rusher when they're in one-on-ones, right? You're in a controlled environment. You're in a controlled drill. It's easy to get off the rock. Right? You don't have to worry about, you know, countering back or playing the run. That's where I worry about him. As far as beating the drill, no one's going to have a better get off. They don't have anyone that can bend like him. He's got really good tools. He's got long arms. He, he bends at the hips well. He's going to win that drill, but it's not a drill out there on the field. And he's young, and that experience is going to come. I just – can we get it consistently, right? Can we get the consistent play? Can you afford to have him out there in all those other situations, you know, waiting on that that third and eight where you can uh, kind of cut him loose on a, on a pass rush? Uh, that's the only thing I'm worried about with him. But overall, I think the edge spot still looks the same. Deep, you got a multiple uh, uh, a group of guys that have multiple different you know weapons and styles, and it's just going to be a matter of finding who's your best two. And I imagine, kind of like the interior, they're going to have a nice rotation. Yeah, our guy Bothroyd still looks good. Yeah. Not he doesn't he doesn't look as good as a lot of the other guys in the group, but. The the production and play continues continues to be there, and I I think he's their best player on the defensive line. Right? Yep. We've been saying it since the spring. The guy just guy can play football. Consistent. Not gonna not gonna win any beauty contests, right? When you talk about body type, a dude can just play. Yep, he's consistent. You know what you're gonna get every snap. He's gonna be in the right spot. He's gonna take advantage of of whatever. You know, alignment's too flat, or, um, you know, he he's gone up against him a couple times in pass rush and kind of knows what his flaws are. He's going to use that against guys and and just be be a dude that's always in the right place with with good production. I mean, you got to have guys like that, and he's <laughs> it. We definitely need it at that spot. Last year, we started off with the bang at edge and faded into obscurity at the position as the season rolled on. So that can't be the case this year. No, but just watching the defense as the whole, it's clear how important Stutzman is, right? Directing traffic. And part of me wonders, hey, is there anyone else behind him that can do what he does at the level that he's doing it? Just uh, And I'm not talking from a, you know, go and making plays physically standpoint. I'm talking just a mental aspect of things, right? If, if something happened to him, could 
can it do that? Right? Could he go out there and direct traffic? I I think that's an interesting conversation, but the the position that stands out, right? Like the secondary is the group that when you go out there to practice, you go, okay, it's starting to look a lot more like what it should look like. Yep. They are they are deep at safety. I mean, they they've got some guys that can absolutely play. Um corner is super competitive right now. They got playmakers at corner. I, I feel like it's the best our secondary has looked in I don't know, you may be able to just keep going far back as you want to. There's some serious playmakers back there. Bowman looks great. Reggie Pearson looks great. Key Lawrence looks really good. Uh, Peyton Bowen looks really good. They're also going to get um, Robert Spears Jennings back, at, you know, as gradually as he works back from that shoulder. Some other young guys, Vickers, and I, it's it's a good-looking group, man. It really is. Yeah, Harrington, the the switch to the single digit, nice. Looks good. Looks good. I, I I'm going to be shocked if he's not if he's not your main your main starter at the cheetah position. I know it'll be situational, right? I, I think McCullough is going to factor in maybe some of these teams that go. Do people even call it regular personnel anymore? I don't know. Heavy personnel is just like two tight ends in the yeah. game. You know? I don't so know. So when I, I think that I think Venables is going to get creative with how they use the cheetah position in the defense, depending on offensive personnel situation, things like that. But I'm almost to the point where Harrington is a lock as a starter for me. The most interesting and you you're right, the safety competition is it's going to be fierce, but the most interesting thing for me is Who's going to be the corner opposite of Woody Washington? I think multiple guys are going to play. But, you know, just watching the first group throughout practice, you had Josiah Wagner run out with the first group. I, I think that you're going to see you're going to see a lot of I Kendall Dolby continues to run out there with the first group. He's kind of the guy that no one's really talking about. Right? Uh I, and I'll be honest, I was like, 15, 15, who's that? Who's that again? It, it, uh, it's because we haven't seen him be a main factor, right, when it comes to playing actual downs on Saturday. But Gentry Williams is going to be a guy I think's in the mix. I think that that corner opposite of Woody Washington is that's one of the most intriguing position battles on the team. Yeah, and, and it's one of those that it's a position battle that I have no concern over. Right. I, I, Wagner looks fantastic. Whoever wins it, I feel really good about, and they're going to get good rotation. You know, they, they've got some bodies there. Um, one last thing on Harrington. I've I've been saying this, and I continue to, to feel this way. The cheetah position with Justin Harrington, from last year to this year, that is the single, like, biggest improvement at any position on the entire football field, offense and defense, just from, from last year to this year, with what you get at Justin Harrington, and I, I, I still think that he's going to have an incredible year, all conference top of year. I th- I'm, I'm looking from Justin Harrington. He's like athletically, 
he's 6'3", 215 plus pounds, runs like a gazelle. He'll strike you in, you know, whenever he gets in the box, plays in the box. He's a good blitzer. He's He knows the defense well, and he's still improving there. I, it's He's going to have a really good year. Yeah, and I talked to a couple of members of the strength staff. They said he's been way more vocal throughout the offseason, right, trying to embrace the leadership role, like knows the type of leader he has to play, playing that position within the defense. So it it's all positive for Harrington right now. But I, I know there's some people saying oh, it's been positive for a while on that guy. you got to go make plays on Saturdays. So it seems like he's going to make plenty of them. Okay, switching to the offense. And anything from the quarterbacks that really stands out to you with what you've seen? I Dylan Gabriel, he continues to he continues to embrace that leadership role. I thought he ripped off a couple runs. I thought he looked a little faster, right? a little smoother out there, a little more athletic running the football. Seems like he had a good offseason uh, when it comes to you know speed, explosiveness, all that. But other than that, it's that's kind of hard to tell. Right when you're not in the flow of an actual game with the quarterback position. Yep. From from what I've seen, he looks sharp. He, I I don't think he, um, you know, I, the issues he had last year, I don't think like cause his, he does have some limitations, but the issues he had last year, I don't think are are limitation issues on him. I think he's an accurate passer. I think he's a smart quarterback. I think last year, as things kind of fell apart, I think he just kind of lost some of his confidence. And I didn't think he particularly started off the season with a high amount of trust in his offensive line and trust in his his wide receivers. It looks like that has improved for him just as an overall, um, you know, just playing in the offense. He's just in a better spot. And I think that shows pretty well, at least from what I've seen. It looks like he's having what you would expect from a guy coming back second year in this system has played a ton of football. He looks good. Looks prepared, ready for a season. Yeah. And Jackson Arnold continues to improve, right? There's he's a, he's a true freshman quarterback. There's going to be growing pains. There's just no doubt the, the athleticism, the talent. I mean, it's there. It's, it's there in a perfect world. DG stays healthy, right? And you get, you get to let him sit and learn and gain confidence. He's going to play in several games, right? That is definitely, there's no doubt that that is the plan, but uh, I know there's some people that want to replace Dylan Gabriel right away as this season starts. That, in my opinion, that would not be the best thing for the football team this season. So it, it, it looks like DG, he's got a ton of confidence, and, and we'll see how it goes. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. But running back, good to see Javante Barnes back out there. Looks fantastic, right? I mean, clearly had a nice offseason, but the guy that stands out to me among the entire group, and Marcus Major was out there, Sawchuck was out there, and even though those two guys have been limited, right? They're, they're trying to limit their workload and be smart, especially with major, right? We all know what his health issues have been, but Caleb Hicks looks the best to me. Agreed. True freshman, but he, and it's, they don't it's not only like true freshman. Dude. He's put together, man. He's the best looking back they have, right? Barnes looks great. Hicks looks better to me. Yep. Right. And I don't you know. know and- I'm 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 willing to give a little bit to Barnes working back from the from, foot, yeah, from the foot deal, like or just on having some of that explosiveness. But it's like <laughs> if you if you were to line everyone up and say who's the true freshman out there or who wins the uh, the looks good in a uniform battle, it's zero. Uh, the the hamstrings, the uh, the glutes. That I'm just gonna be real. That's that's what you want. That's what you're looking for at the running back position. And I think there's I think that staff's gonna have some tough decisions to make. Right now, you can't put a true freshman on the field if he doesn't know what he's doing. But it seems like they are they're really pleased with where Hicks is at mentally. And uh, do do you do you start giving that guy carries or do you give Marcus major carries? That's, that's where that that's going to be an interesting conversation. The staff's going to have to have whose upside is greater saw Chuck or Hicks. Like, that's where I, I am. I'm very interested to see how those carries get divided up early in the season. Well, um, I know I've just had a very limited view and, I tr- fully trust DeMarco Murray to make the right decision, but I I would start with the mindset of someone's got to show me the reason I don't give zero every single carry. <laughs> that's that's the spot I'm starting at right now. Yeah. I would assume pass protection is the, the easiest answer. Like, hey, how well does he yeah. understand pass protection within the system? But yeah, he's the best looking back they've got. But that does not mean that the other backs don't look good. I mean, it's an overall just, I mean, that they've got some great depth. Yeah. Good problem to have a wide receiver. Probably the biggest question mark on the offense, like who's going to play, what guys are going to be in the rotation. Can a guy become, you know, the guy, but I'll just, the, the top thing that stood out to me is, Jaden Gibson has found more consistency, right? And it's not, I'm not talking about the route running, you know, catching the ball, making plays. I think he understands how you have to play now because that dude is blocking his ass off on the bubbles, down the field, in the run game, whatever Emmett Jones has been preaching to him when it comes to the way you have to play He's gotten through to him. And that that was a, the 
the number one thing that stood out to me about the wide receiver group is I was like, damn, Gibson is getting after it as a blocker. And I think that's a tremendous sign. Like if you take care of that stuff, the touches, they'll come. Right. But I just think I, I, I think it's clicked. I'm or at least I'm hoping it's clicked with what I saw, the way that he was blocking on the edge, the effort that he was practicing with. I I think Emmett Jones is is pulling it out of him. Yeah. I hope so. I you know, we've top talking point for quite some time has been how much talent is in that group, but we haven't haven't seen anyone emerge and it's hard in, in training camp because you don't get a it's hard to find like a like who's actually playing well and having a good rhythm, you know, trying to watch everything. But I I still you know, I know Nick Anderson has has tremendous upside and maybe the most, but Jaden Gibson to me seems like the guy just because the size that he's he's got, he's fast, he runs good routes, but so I'm not convinced that he doesn't have the most upside out of the group, but how close is he to being there? I, I don't know. That the the overall group looks good. They've got great speed in some spots. They've got, you know, um some guys that can get open in the middle of the field. It's the outside spot that really, you know, someone's gonna have to run away with it. And, you know, it may be one of those things, Gabe, where they've got a rotation of guys throughout the entire season. Yeah. No. The tough thing about the rotation piece, and I've heard I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, Jeff Levy and maybe maybe not playing as many young receivers as you want to play. Well, that that is that's one of the negative effects of playing as fast as they do offensively. Right? You you don't get into some big wide receiver rotation because you're playing with tempo. If you sub your wide receivers, the umpire goes and stands over the ball. He extends his arms like this, and the defense can match. That, that is not the speed with which this offense was wants to play. Now, I will say it, in team, it did seem like they had it slowed down a little bit. I don't know if that's to let the defense adjust or if that's going to be more the way that they go about things, but it does seem like they're going to want to play a lot of these wide receivers. Now, you've got your... You've got your first group of the old guys, right? With Farouk and Stoops and I guess Andrell Anthony. I guess you classify him as an old guy, but yeah, you they're going to find snaps for Gavin Freeman um and Nick Anderson and Jaden Gibson. Like so they're gonna have to play slow at some times to get different wide receivers on there. But Jacques Petaway is a guy that really has stood out to the staff. I mean, and he is He's big, bigger than I thought. He's explosive, right? He he can make things thicker. happen. He's thicker. got some thickness to him, yeah. He he's already thicker than Mims, right? Because he's wearing seventeen. I was like, wow, Marvin gained some weight. Nice. <laughs> like, oh wait, what? But he can fly, man. He he can fly, and he also he's better with the ball in his hand than I thought he would be. But I, I was kind of under the impression hey, he's just a speed guy, like run verticals. Caught a couple bubbles, made some things happen. He, he's a guy you get really excited about if you just watch him for a little bit. So they're gonna have to find ways to get those guys reps and like develop those guys. And one of the main re- ways to do it is, hey, you got to slow down and sub some. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, I I don't know. I I think we'll be fine. I I, I sh- maybe I shouldn't say that. It's hard to tell for me at wide receiver until we get to a game. It's right. just it's just difficult to gauge where those guys are at. Yeah. All right. Let's talk a little O line. Savion Bird looks pretty good. I I would say just asking, you know, kind of in the two ninety five to three hundred pound range. Not as heavy as they want him to be, but he's moving well. I think he's got a little more confidence now. I will say. I do think he's a strong favorite to be the starter at left guard. But he's he's got to get himself to where he can play an entire football game at a high level. Right? He's gotta he's gotta take his diet more seriously, whatever he's doing off the field, like sleep, all the stuff that matters when it comes to playing at a high level, performing at a high level. He he's gotta be a little more dialed into that, right? Because you know, the rest of the O-line was looking real fresh at the end of practice. I was impressed. I was like, dang, these guys are in good shape. And he was, and we've seen it from him in the past, right? He was he, he was not where the rest of the group was when it comes to being in shape. So he's got to practice himself into better shape. You you cannot, you, you can't, absolutely, you can't run out of gas in the fourth quarter. You just can't. So I am... I'm interested to see if he can make the proper adjustments, but man, he, you know, that left guard position is kind of the big question mark on the O line, and he looks, it looks good. I wonder if it's, it feels like he has more snaps of like all out explosiveness. You know, like whenever he gets into somebody, he goes hard. Yeah. You could tell he moves people. You think that's why he ends up being more worn down? I mean, I there know you is have to deal with that, but right. You you never you never want to take that out of a guy, right? Yeah. But the best alignment, the best players I ever played with, they know when to pick their spots. Yeah. Right. And and you want guys to sprint to the ball and all that stuff, but you you have to be a little realistic about some of that stuff. So yeah, maybe that's maybe that's something that'll just come with more experience for him, right? Being being in that first group, right? Feeling what that feels like and just knowing that honestly, sometimes you got to conserve some energy in certain spots. When you got a guy walled, sometimes it's just to have him walled instead well, of like there's a time to go bury the dude, right? Right, if you're running boot. Yeah. Right, you you want to sell it if you can get a clean shot on a guy that's not looking at you. No better feeling in football than that one. It's like a layup for an offensive lineman, but maybe you maybe you don't on boot sell the fake and then sprint to the ball on the other side of the field. You know, like you you got to pick your spots a little bit. But yeah. you, I, I'm not worried about the effort that he plays with. He's just he's got to get to a point where. Maybe he just has a better understanding of the times he needs to exert all that energy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and you know, there's another, the other part is as a backup, you, you never really get a full run of practice or a full run in a game. And so this might be his first time to be stacking that many reps and, 
hopefully that conditioning comes pretty quick. Still early in camp, I he'll probably play if he if he stays healthy and everything continues to go. He'll probably play more reps this camp than he's ever played. Right, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, there, there's no doubt, and I do think there is. There's gonna be, there's gonna be multiple guys that that play in the interior, right? I I think that Caleb Schaefer is a guy that he looks way leaner than he did in the spring, right? Now he's still heavy as hell, <laughs> like three forty, but he's moving better. He looks leaner. He's a guy that, you know, just talking to the strength staff, that's a weight room strong guy. He's just a big strong dude. I think he he can give you some snaps. At right guard, and it, I, I think he's he's way more comfortable on the right side than the left side, which means you can kick Matoyer over to left to play some snaps. Right, we know he's comfortable on both sides. He he looks a little better than me, but I I still think I kind of just understand what he is as a player. Right, his the good thing about him is like I I think his floor is a really solid college offensive line, right. His ceiling is lower than some of the other guys, though. But you know what you're going to get, and sometimes that is that's extremely important, right? That consistency. Right? You're always in search of consistency at each position, but offensive line, you're you're looking for those consistent guys. But I think it's going to be a group of those guys on the interior that that can factor. And I think Jake Taylor's a guy that can play. I, I think his his home eventually is going to be the interior of the offensive line. I really, I really would like to see what it would look like if he started snapping a football. I'm just going to say, mm-hmm. I'm curious because he's a he's a little stiff at tackle, that uh, which makes me think that no, he's destined for guard. But you know, sometimes sometimes all you need is a little control with that football in your hand, Ted. You never know what yeah. that can do to a guy. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, what, what do you think Rame looks like and uh, and Everett? Yeah, Rame is he looks good. He he's just one of those guys that like you you feel like he's constantly bad at battling some type of tweak here or there, right? The key for him is staying healthy and doing what he needs to do in the weight room in the training room to try to stay as healthy as possible, right? Because it's been. You know, you think like ankle, knee, shoulder, like the guy is, he'd been through it through his career. So he got to do whatever he can to, to stay healthy. He's clearly the best center they've got. I, I like just watching Troy Everett. I like his mentality, right? He's, he's got some stuff to him now, right? He'll get in there and scrap, but he's not a big dude. I mean, you go out there, see, like, he's just not a big guy. There, there, there was a reason he was at App State, right? And that reason is, like, he does not have the measurables you want your starting offensive lineman at Oklahoma to have. He needs to add lower body strength, right? And from what I understand, that was not something that was a heavy emphasis at App State, which when I was told that, I was like, what? How's that possible? But strong upper body guy just needs to continue to work on that lower body strength and explosiveness He's a guy that absolutely has to play with tremendous technique because of some of the measurable limitations. And it, it seems like you know, he's a guy that he, he's still learning the system a bit. He's still getting more comfortable in this new environment. But 
I feel I feel he'll get there. Like if something happens to Rain, I feel like they feel comfortable enough to throw Everett out there. And he he's a guy that I expect to, you know, just practicing against guys at this level throughout the season, like that's gonna make him better. And he's gonna understand the type of leverage and technique he's gonna have to play with at this level. Right. So I I'm optimistic on him, but yeah, there's no doubt. You walk out there and you go, yeah, 52. He's not, you're not very big. Yeah. So, but it sounds like depth and competition wise in a pretty good place. Guard center. Definitely in a better place than a year ago. Yeah. Right. You know, in center center, it, you know, rain needs to stay healthy. He's by far the most talented guy they got at that position. You, you're hoping one of the things about Savion Bird, he has the weight on now, right? Is he as heavy as you want him to be? No, right? He he's a guy you want in the you know three ten area. We need you to get in better shape and gain weight. A very right. difficult combo. Very very difficult to do. The thing to keep an eye on for him is maintaining the weight throughout the season has been an issue, right? And that that comes down to a lot of factors, but mainly it's a no, do you give a shit? That's yeah. what it comes down to. Like I was, I, I was a guy that keeping the weight on was a job, right? And I had a schedule. Like I'm going to eat at this time every single day, right? And I took it very seriously. I am nowhere near. I was nowhere near as talented of a player as Savion Bird, but my give a shit was way up there. So. He needs he needs to take it seriously, and it sounds like he he is because the weight's where it's in a better place, but you have to maintain that through the season, right? While you're going to class, you're going to tutors, you're doing all those things. So that that's definitely something to keep an eye on. But the tackle position, they need Jacob Sexton to get back. They they need him to get back. He is he's going to be the swing tackle. He's going to be your third tackle, right? Just after after watching Jake Taylor and some of his movement limitations out there on the edge. Aaron Parks is the guy, you know, I'm glad he's back, right? But, you know, he's not the type of guy from a measurable standpoint and a talent standpoint that you want starting a tackle at Oklahoma, in my opinion. So Sexton getting back off that knee injury is really, really important. Rouse and Guyton look great. And Guyton's been dealing with a little bit, but he was full go at practice. I was at, he, he looks great. Rouse is moves better than I thought he did. I still think there's, there's some work to be done when it comes to his mentality, when it comes to finishing blocks. That being said, I think Bill Biedenboe is strongly pushing that mentality on him, but just from talking to the staff, like he is as reliable as they come. Had an awesome summer, leader, vocal, highly intelligent, like just a guy that you can rely on and you know what you're getting. So the first group, you feel really good about it, right? It's, you know, the depth behind them. Are you going to be able to get the development throughout camp? And remember, guys can get better during the season, right? That's what practice is for. But that's that's something we're like, okay, there's, there's still work to be done on the depth piece of things. Yeah. That's good. You know, I, he's obviously way older, but 
I feel like that was one of the, not necessarily complaints, but one of the critiques about Anton Harrison going into last season was, you know, play a little angrier. Uh, you got everything else figured out. And he did that throughout the season. Like there was a noticeable difference, you know, five, six games in uh, how he was playing compared to, you know, just kind of easing into the season. Hopefully we get the the same type of thing out of both Guyton and Rouse. Yeah. And hopefully get the same type of thing out of Caden Green. Right. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to dismiss him. I, I think that, I think Sexton, like if a guy goes down, I think Sexton at this point would be the guy that goes in. Now, you got to get him healthy. But Caden Green's one of those guys. You just, I don't know. I just, I I just want to dial up the anger just a little bit. He seems so calm and collected from everything I've been told. He's an awesome dude. I I need to dial up the... <laughs> craziness in him just a little bit and if they can find a way to bring that out of him and he's just a true freshman right but he can be a really really good player yeah and i think he's already i think these i still think he is ahead of where they thought he would be as a player at this point in time but just just need to dial up the anger just a smidge and usually you can play a little more physical a little anger i don't even know if that's the right word but a little more edge when you know exactly what you're doing and you have no hesitation, right? And you still, even though he was in for spring and took all the first team reps at left tackle during spring, like they threw him in the fire. Like you, you gain confidence by going out there on Saturdays and doing it. Right. I mean, that's just, that's just how it works. So, you know, we'll, my hope is that, you know, when he does get in games, cause I think he's going to play. I'd be surprised if he didn't. Uh, I think when he gets in games, I'm, I'm interested to see how he reacts to the environment, right? If that, maybe that's what he needs to just crank Game. it up a, a few notches. Yeah, it'd be good. Uh, I'm, and some of that comes also with finding where you where you kind of are in the hierarchy of a locker room and in a position group, and once you kind of understand your like where you are, what your role is. That's whenever maybe a little more of that aggression starts to come out. Yeah. He, he will have a prominent role moving forward. Good. I mean, he's, he's going to be a big part of what they're doing uh, in this program, but yeah. One thing, kind of the last thing when it comes to practice observations, my, my concerns about the tight end position have not, have not been alleviated. I would say that's the best way to put it. it it's concern. Yeah. Well, they're going to have to get creative, man. Unless all of a sudden Llewellyn and Helms get really, really healthy and start making plays, which I mean, you, you got to have your doubts, right? Two guys yeah. that are just redshirt freshmen that haven't, haven't done much. Or I guess did Llewellyn play enough snaps on special teams to where I guess he's technically a sophomore. I'm not sure, but Got those guys missing practice time. Stogner, love the guy. Love the guy. Love the leadership. Love the mentality he brings to the locker room. He's just not a playmaker at tight end. It's just not like he's a guy. His plays are going to be schemed open for him, right? Game plan wise. And then he's going to have to make competitive catches because he just, 
Just watch him out there. He doesn't have great speed, right? He, he just doesn't. He, he's not going to run away from anyone. So I I think Levy may have to get a little creative with some personnel groupings, the way they do some things to make, just to just to make defenses think a little more. I I don't know. I am I being too dramatic? Um, not on the depth at tight end. You're not being too dramatic. Uh, it may have even been sugarcoating it a bit. Yeah, like, it's not good. Not we good. don't have anyone outside of Stogner. I think I'm a I'm a little higher on Stogner. I I don't know that I necessarily need him to be a playmaker. I I think to be a a a player that makes good competitive catches that we usually in the play action stuff um be able to to get you in some stuff and I think you said it right like scheme him to some things where maybe he's running away from leverage on some guys and force coverage with a safety and a backer like he's never been really a run away from your guy he's been a like a low post guy that you just throw it away from leverage and he's going to make that play because he's got such tremendous size. And I also think he looks slower than what he actually is because of how big he is because he's really big. He's like six six two sixty five. Yeah. I so. think, and this may be a strange comparison, but like, I think his ceiling at tight ends like Blake Bell. That's like a, and that's, that's what his future is going to be if you're talking about professional football. He's going to be a blocking tight end. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. he's not all of a sudden going to be a dynamic playmaker. Now, watch him have like 10 touchdowns and 800 yards receiving, and I will be the first one to say I'm an idiot. I was completely wrong. Well, I think he I think he could. He's, he's more of a traditional tight end is what he is, and you can find ways if, if it's like, if if it's a, a priority for you, you can find ways for the, for a guy like that to have a lot of production. It's just not going to be on seam balls. Right. I I think that one of our favorite things in football, we talk about a lot, is you know, guys that can go make plays, right? At the tight end position. You know, dynamic playmakers at the tight end position. Oh, you doesn't have that right now. So we'll see. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be something that Levy and they feel good about the wide receiver depth, right? So maybe maybe you just go with some smaller personnel groupings. Maybe maybe that's the changeup as you spread it out even more. But I nothing I saw made me think. Oh yeah, no, yeah. Let's let's get into twelve personnel. Here we go. Uh, just you don't see that when you go out there and watch. No, it. It's going to be, it's, it's going to be like, that's to me is one of the more interesting things. Like I know it's the, the, the better talk perhaps is who's going to catch the most deep balls at wide receiver. Are we going to have a thousand yard rusher in the backfield with as many guys as we have? Like people are probably more interested in that, but I, the direction of the offense, like, personnel grouping wise is something that's going to be really fascinating to see how Libby kind of massages that situation to find what they're going to be best at. Cause no matter what way you cut it, it's going to look different than it did a year ago yeah. with what Braden Willis brought. Yeah. I, I, I don't think there's anything, any doubt about that. 
All right. One last thing we want to cover, and it's, you know, let's call your shot. We asked you guys how you, uh, what was your reaction to OU being ranked number 19 in the preseason coaches poll? Uh, this first answer comes from at Sooner Bread 27, who said, I love the end result when we were ranked 19 in the preseason with the second year lefty quarterback. Yeah. Yep. Been a lot of people looking talking, at it. A lot of people have been talking about that. Um, yeah, I I think it's – who knows what the right formula is for a preseason ranking, but I don't think we earned any higher of a ranking than that with, with what we had last year. And I think it – I think it's a good spot to where a team doesn't come in thinking that they're they're more than what they are, which I, I, I hope that wouldn't be a problem after going six and seven. But I, I think it's a good place to – you want to be ramping up as the season goes on, right? I think it's easier to see that and get some confidence and get rolling and make the climb than it is to try to maintain. So I like it. Yeah. This other one comes from at OU DNA guy who says it's too high. Get us out of the top 25 altogether. I want all of the bulletin board material we can get. Is this your burger, Ted at (laughs) OU DNA guy? Uh, That's good. I hate, and I don't mind that either. I I would have I would have probably we're a top twenty five football team right now okay it, just plain and simple we are but I wouldn't have minded if we're outside of the top twenty five I bring all the disrespect uh, you can I've, I'm I'm here for it yeah and you got you got five total Big Twelve teams in the rankings right Texas at twelve TCU at sixteen K State at seventeen Sooners at nineteen and then Tech checking in at twenty four I. When I see that, right, no teams in the top 10, I think it's a pretty good representation of how people feel about the Big 12 this season, right? A lot of really good teams. We're just, especially after what TCU did a year ago, I think everyone's like, we don't know who the hell is going to emerge out of the Big 12. Maybe it's Texas, right? They they look the most talented on paper. But I think people are still a little skeptical of trusting the Longhorns. I don't know. I saw the poll and I said, yeah, that – that feels about right about how people feel about Big 12 football heading into the season. That's it's interesting. Outside of Oklahoma, did Texas beat any of those other teams that they're ranked ahead of in the top 25 last year? Mm, I'd have to pull up their schedule, but did they beat no, they didn't. They lost to Tech. They lost, they lost to, to Tech group. Remember that was Oh no, the... they did beat Kansas State. Remember the tech game was like the statistical anomaly. Everyone after it was like, it is basically like, no one knows how Texas lost that game. It's it's insane, but they did beat Kansas state though, which they wouldn't beat them this year. Yeah. 27, 34. Um, they beat Kansas state. So yeah, I, the Texas hype is there. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it, but we, uh, it's going to be a fun year in the big 12. That's all I I know. You look at the top 10, though, Georgia, Michigan, Bama, Ohio State, LSU, USC. USC is not the sixth best team in the country. I, that one is – that's something. But then you got Penn State, Florida State, Clemson, and Tennessee. I, You know, I. other than yeah. Georgia and <laughs> Bama – It's so funny to look at that list because – uh, USC is like a fish out of water in that list of football teams right there. Yeah. They got a really good quarterback, though. Right. That's right. All right. 
Speaking of which, we dive into that a little bit with our man Jeff Schwartz. His Oregon Ducks are headed to the Big Ten. So let's talk to him about everything that just went down last week. But first, Love's Travel Stops is now offering a nationwide 10 cent per gallon discount on gas and auto diesel. Just download the Love's Connect app and scan your barcode at the prompt on screen and watch that price drop 10 cents per gallon. Across the country, the Love's Connect app unlocks exclusive deals can help any traveler plan their route or meal on the highway. So before you hit the road, be sure to download the Love's Connect app to save 10 cents per gallon and experience the country's best highway hospitality at Love's Travel Stops. Love's also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones with an expanded mobile-to-go zone. And of course, don't forget to grab yourself some of that delicious Java Hamore. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise and is the best place to get your OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. And hey, you hungry out there? Well, then head to the garage for hand-smashed patties, butter-toasted buns, and some ice-cold beer. The food is fantastic, and it is the perfect spot to watch any big game. Visit eatatthegarage.com to find a location near you and order online from the garage in your neighborhood. All right, here's Jeff Schwartz. It is our pleasure to be joined by a man that played eight years in the National Football League. You can hear him on Sirius XM Pac-12 Radio. You can see him all over Fox Sports. He's even a writer, and he is a future Big Ten legend. <laughs> Jeff Schwartz, what's going on, buddy? Well, I have one year left on Pac-12 Radio, so we we know we know the end date, buddy. Um, I don't know. Uh, just like you do Big 12 radio, you're probably going to have a couple couple new additions on that side. I, I hope to find myself one day on, on Big 10 radio. But uh, yeah, man, it's uh, it's all changed. And it, it went from like 100 to 1,000 and then back to like zero today. It feels like nothing even happened, even though it was just a few days ago. It's crazy, man. A lot of change in college sports uh, very quickly. And, um, you know, a conference that had been around since 1915. This is the first time the Pac-12 incorporated to, to what the Pac-4, there was a Pacific Conference, and it was, uh, you know, out of UCLA and USC, then went to Arizona, Arizona State. Um, it is, uh, it's done. It's it's going to be gone pretty soon. What's the change going to be like? Is this one of those things where we're all been out of shape about it and worried about the future and uh, nostalgic about the past, and then once this thing gets underway, it's we're not going to notice it that much? It's a good question, right? Um, let's take Oregon, for example. So part of the reason I think we like college sports is we like the, the shared traditions, the scar tissue, like knowing the opponent very well, even though you might not know players per se, but you know, like, oh, shit, if Oregon's going to Stanford, that's a problem, right? No matter who Stanford is, like, we always struggle with Stanford. So you have to build those ties basically in a new conference. You got to figure out who your Stanford's going to be, right? Who, who the opponent's going to be that's going to come into your house and, and give you trouble. And you have to build the care, right? The want to want to watch those games against opponents you really don't care about. Now, the big games are going to be great. Remember, Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State and Penn State, those four are going to play each season a Washington, Oregon, UCLA, USC. Great, right? Much better games. Um, but the game like Oregon, Iowa – 
I don't know. I've got to find a way to care about that game. Right? I've cared about Oregon, Arizona a lot more. I have a history with Arizona. I've watched Arizona play for 30 years now. So I think that's figuring out those reasons to watch some of the schools that um, you don't really care about is going to have to be new. But in the end, I mean, I'm going to watch as much football as possible. The question is, you know, I'll watch Oregon State play Cal right now. Am I going to watch Illinois Purdue next season? I I don't know. We'll find. I mean, I might have to. But like, I that's that that's the new part of it for like me and for you guys. You're going to have to start watching this year. I imagine probably start watching some some Arizona. Well, I guess Oklahoma. You're watching SEC, but you know, Gabe, you're on Big Twelve. You're going to watch some Pac-12. You got a lot to watch, uh, but you're going to start probably paying attention more to the SEC. So. It's just but even new. for us, like Houston versus UCF or something like that, you know, like something that we, we wouldn't have even been interested in previously. That's, yeah. That's on the list. You're, you're going to have to watch that game. And so it's different for us than I think it is for like a fans. I mean, fans are going to watch no matter what, but are they going to watch the other games now, right? The games that they used to just watch because they sort of had a common knowledge of the opponent and it mattered for their conference. Are they going to use or is an Oregon fan going to watch random big 10 game? Um, versus where they would probably watch a random Pac-12 game. Over time, it probably evens out. But again, we're going to probably have a change in five to six, seven years when the Big Ten and SEC just become one giant conference, right? I mean, Chip Kelly talked about it yesterday or the day before. Look what Notre Dame's doing, right? They're independent for football, and they're ACC for everything else. That feels like we, we, where we might go. You're, 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 you know, you're independent for football, and then everything else is in a, is within a conference. And maybe that's more regionalized to, to make it easier on travel. So right now it's going to settle down, but in the next couple of years it could ratchet back up again. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see where this all goes. Now before we dive into how your ducks are going to fare in the Big Ten, like how did we get here, man? Like who's to blame? <laughs> I, Klyavkov is just getting. I mean, he's getting yeah. crushed. I mean, I mean the blame was all the way back to 2010 when the Pac-12 couldn't get Texas and Oklahoma to commit, right? I mean, they were close. They were on the two-yard line. And then Texas won the Longhorn Network, and the Pac-12 wasn't willing to bend with their request for, for their own network. If they just would have said, you know what, you could have Longhorn Network, whatever, man. They, they'd probably be in the Pac-12 right now, right? Which is ironic because the Pac-12 tried to do this first. They tried to get Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, and I think A&M all the Pac-12 plus Colorado and Utah to form a 16-team conference. And they were close. It didn't happen. And then sort of just along the way, little mistakes here and there, right? Not getting the Pac-12 network on DirecTV. Uh, ESPN wanted to buy the Pac-12 network. Not buy, but help with distribution and kind of take over production. They said no. I mean, there's little things along the way like that where, um, you know, if if uh, if they had done little things um, – they would have probably saved themselves. Um, and I think USC at times wasn't an honest partner in the relationship. We know that George Klovkov tried to, to expand the last couple of years with big 12 teams and USC said no while I think talking to the big 10. So, you know, they've always sort of wanted out in this, you know, people want to blame the, the, the networks. I mean, I guess, I, I mean, the report today, Fox paid for Oregon and Washington to go to the big 10. They just threw more money uh, at, at, you know, to, to sure, I guess that's the network's fault, but um, it's all it's all this fault. George Klovkov, I think the, the two mistakes he made were one getting jumped by the Big 12, right? You like you got jumped, and two, it's so sure along the same lines, you just overvalued your conference. 
There's reports that he sought, he sought $50 million per school. Mm, a little heavy. And then it was like $43 million per school. That was 40 per school. And so, but once the Big 12 jumped the Pac-12, I don't think there's been even a deal to present on the linear side. Like ESPN and Fox have been out. And so combination of, of the, the media landscape right now, plus all of that, these are all these reasons. John Wilner, who, who wrote a long article, like 12 reasons why. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why we're here. Uh, you know, USC not being good at football for many, many years has not helped. Um, it's not helped it, it, at all. It's um, it, it just sad we're here. But once USC and UCLA left, it felt inevitable this was going to happen. You know, I, here's here's kind of what how, how I view it in a weird sense. Because right now we've got the realignment, but you've kind of got the Big Ten. Big Ten is expanding. Uh, the SEC is expanding. I feel like what the ultimate goal is, it's like it's like a, a team in the offseason signing free agents and, and bringing guys in. We're, we're going to cut down eventually to our 53-man roster. And I feel like the networks are tired of carrying, like you were mentioning, like some of the games, like are you going to watch Purdue, Indiana, or something like that. I think the networks don't want to carry those anymore. Because it costs them money to to put it on, to staff it, all of those things, and ultimately everyone's just waiting on Ohio, Michigan, and I think at, right now you've expanded. But do you think there's going to be a point where it tightens down, like you said, in football? Maybe the conferences yeah. are different in other sports, but ultimately the networks are going to carry more of yeah. the big games of the the opponents everyone watches. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, you're going to have a weekend where you're going to have, you know, a, a, a Oklahoma playing LSU and then followed by UCLA playing Michigan and followed by Oregon playing Penn State and followed by Texas playing Alabama. I mean, that that's a, a possibility in a weekend to have those four games over ESPN, Fox, CBS, and NBC. God, that's it, sexy, Jeff. Right? Like, <laughs> like, like, like <laughs> I mean, that's possible, <laughs> right? And, and, and next weekend, it's, it's Penn State, UCLA. And then it's Michigan against Washington. And then it's it's Auburn playing Texas. And then it's Oklahoma in, in, in the night game taking on Mississippi State. I mean, it's better than Oklahoma playing uh, Houston, right? Or whatever they would say in the big – like, you're going to get to your point. You're going to get better games. But, again, if you if you view the sport as regional, which I'm, my parents are Bruno alums. I grew up in Los Angeles. I played at Oregon. I do Pac-12 radio. It stinks, right, because the regionality of this is gone. But if you view it from a national lens, which I think the point you made is good, is that you get better national games. You have better games each weekend, and the networks are going to be very happy. And they'll put these, the, you know, the secondary content on on Big Ten Network, SEC Network, ESPN Plus, like NBC or Paramount, Peacock. I don't know which one they have. Um, you know, they'll, they'll have secondary you know places to put these games. The Big Ten Network is going to have games from 12 p.m. Eastern, right, the first kickoff, all the way to 2 a.m. Eastern. They're going to have a Big Ten after dark with four schools in the Pacific time zone now. Like, they're going to have content all day. Like, they just better – it's better action, better content, more fan bases to watch. The question is, in the next round of realignment, do schools get thrown out of the big conferences? Look and, at the – like, Florida State is saying right now what a lot of people have been thinking, right, about yeah. the people that bring in the money, bring in the eyeballs. Why are we sharing with, with the people that don't? Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. You know, again, like 
Oregon gets a lot of ratings. Like if you watch, Oregon gets good ratings. Why is Oregon sharing the same money as some of the Big Ten schools that just happen to be in the Midwest? I mean, it's a valid question, right? For Florida State, you're like, why are we sharing money with a Duke, a Wake Forest um, that aren't getting the ratings? But I, I just don't know if this sport should all be about who gets watched and who doesn't. I mean, I get that's what sort of it is at times, but um, I think we're, we're certainly going in that direction. Yeah, I'm. my hope is that it all the schools can stay viable enough right i know it's about money but like oregon state i mean i i feel so bad for that fan base it's yeah. not like they've got awful fans it's just it's not a huge school it, you you look at like washington state I, that's where i feel yeah. for those people and i don't know what's going to happen to them jeff so i think what what sucks is that a lot of decisions are being made about you know, basically where, where you live, right? Like what city you're in, um, you know, Corvallis, I looked up right now, has nearly 60,000 people that live there. I, I would imagine that there are some big 10, uh, excuse me, big 12 schools that have the same, right? I mean, some of these, some of these college campuses, I mean, some of these cities are small. Um, and it's not fair that basically Oregon State gets left out because um, they're just, in a smaller city and they're not part like Manhattan, Kansas, right? Can't where Kansas state is at has the same population, 55,000. So, but Ames, they just still water Lubbock. But they just so happen to like be in the big 12, which won and they did win. They won this conference realignment, I think. And so Oregon state gets left out because they're just in the wrong city, which is the way I felt about Oregon too. I'm like, why Oregon's in Eugene? Like, so what? People watch us play football. If you look at the ratings, again, Oregon games rate very highly. Why are we being left out because we're in a smaller city? It, it's Some of this doesn't make sense to me. I mean, it does, I guess. Another, another thing that doesn't make sense, but I think your, your point, Teddy, is really good about the networks wanting these big-time games, is that networks are seemingly okay with paying eight of the Pac-12 schools so far to be in different conferences, plus potentially Stanford and Cal in different conferences. So 10 of the 12 schools – but not the 12 together as a conference. They want the better games, right? They want those better matchups. They're paying for one or two of those a year versus the matchup of an Oregon Cal. Well, that game's gone now. Now it's Oregon, Michigan State. And so I think that's what they're paying for, but it seems odd, right? They're willing to pay what sounds like 10 of 12 Pac-12 schools, a, a competitive deal to be on linear television, but weren't capable of paying them to stay together to make that happen. Isn't it a little bit, odd or ironic that this is probably going to be the best year the Pac-12 has had in <laughs> two decades. Um, two decades. I, I think ever like I, there's, there's four teams right now to enter four teams with legitimate opportunity to make a playoff. I actually don't think any of them do because the schedule kind of sucks yeah. for all four of those teams. Um, but Utah, now Cam Rising's knee, we'll, we'll, we'll find out if he plays week one. I I'm skeptical. He does. Um, Oregon, obviously, Washington, USC. Um, the schedules for, you know, USC has that at Notre Dame game. Utah has Florida, Baylor. The non-conference matters a lot if you can stay undefeated, right? Um, but those four teams all play each other in a five-week stretch. They're all round robin. Starts with Oregon, Washington, October 14th. I think ends November 11th with uh, with USC and Oregon and Washington playing Utah. Like, they all play each other. So I, it's not going to be a playoff team. But... Again, we've never had a situation where four teams feel the way. And then Oregon State, you mentioned the Beavers. 
their schedule sets up to be like nine and one or eight and two to finish the season with Washington, Oregon. And then, so there's like, yeah, they're, yeah, they, they can, they can end up with, you know, spoiling both those schools chances at a playoff. Uh, and we have, you know, five, six, seven quarterbacks that are going to the NFL. Some guys higher than other guys, but again, we have, you know, we have, we have a couple of pass rushers that are first round talents. We got wide receivers that are first round talents. Um, we got a lot of talent and a lot of quarterbacks. And unfortunately we're talking about um, where teams are playing next season. And it's just very PAC 12, right. That you end up having a situation where presumably your PAC 12 championship game is going to be between two teams who will not be in your conference next season. Um, which I mean, I guess the big 12 in theory could have that too with Oklahoma and Texas, right. Meaning in that, in that game. Um, but it's just, it's where we are in, in the sport. And um the Pac-12, you know, they got outmaneuvered and they, they weren't ready to, to make it happen. Uh, the Big 12, look, stability is important to presidents, right, man? They want, especially out West, they're a conservative presidents, man. They want stability. They want they want known. They want to be able to, to tell their, their alumni, like, we're set, we're here, we're ready to go. The, the instability, the, the maybe Apple's 23 million, maybe it's 31, maybe it's 40. Presidents aren't going for that. Yeah. No, I think the... Uh... The uncertainty of what that Apple deal looked like did uh it didn't it clearly did not sit well with the leadership at Oregon and Washington. Oh. Now you as as you can imagine, Jeff, there are there are quite a few people that listen to this podcast that have been playing paying close attention to USC. Yeah. You are you know, you're covering them all the time now for Pac 12 radio. What what have you thought of USC under Lincoln Riley so far? I mean, I think what I expected, really good on offense and can't tackle a soul on defense. Um, the thing that that has been quite actually surprising to me is how um, poorly USC has been recruiting um, just in general for, for the standards of USC, right? So, you know, USC fans will, will, will push back. Oh, we had a higher blah, blah, blah last year. Lincoln Riley just brought over three guys from Oklahoma that he had already, right? The, the three top guys, basically. But he can't recruit offensive defense alignment. You need those guys to win. You need four and five star offensive defense alignment to win a championship. You can't win a championship building a defense through a portal. You just can't. And USC fans, are, oh, we got Barry Alexander. If you're leaving Georgia, eh, it's probably the reason why you're leaving Georgia, right? Like, I don't know. I would stay if I was a good defender at Georgia. So they have a one deep. That's it. A one deep on defense. And um, Alex Grinch, I, I just don't get it, man. Like he still continues to call, call it defense. Like, like he's at Washington state it makes no sense to me. Um, but Caleb Williams is incredible. They're going to win 10 games again, but they're not good enough on defense. I think to have any chance to win a national championship anytime soon, you have, to, if you look at the best teams across the country, they are building up front, right? With four and five star Offensive defense alignment. You have to have those guys. It, when you and then when you go portaling, by the way, which is fine. You add a couple pieces here. Oregon had a five-star DN. Great. One defensive end, right? Because if you bring a bunch of transfers in and you focus on those guys getting reps, you don't even build your 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 young depth behind those guys, right? Because you're so focused on getting those guys integrated. And so you have to build with the high school recruiting and then also supplement. With portal, you can't have your starting defense, your 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 impact defenders, all be in the portal. What what happens one year when the portal's a little dry, right? Or the NCAA cracks down on on the transfer limits, or NIL money dries up a little bit. 
then what? Then you're stuck with a bunch of guys that aren't ready to play football. You haven't trained up and aren't and aren't good enough. You know the the this blue the blue chip ratio it, it matters. It's been proven to matter. You have to have a certain number of players to be good. I'm, I'm pulling up right now. I think I, I tweeted the, the 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 other day. USC fans were not happy with me, but you know Oregon's gone like like twenty since Dan Lanning has been there, including you know twenty twenty two like over twenty four and five star um, offensive defensive linemen. USC's gone like seven. Like it. it it matters, man. You have, you need those those big bodies to win football games, and so Riley is an incredible offensive coach. Like he's an he's an amazing offensive coach. Um, so I have it right here. Oregon's got in the last uh, since twenty twenty two in the first year of Riley and Landing, um, including the class so far this year. Oregon has seventeen four and five star offensive linemen, and USC has five offensive defense. Offensive defense alignment, both both lines. 17 to five. Like you can't supplement with the portal each year. You have to bring those guys in and recruiting. Um, Look again, Riley's an incredible offensive coach. He's a soft spot for Alex Grinch. I don't get it. Um, And I don't know if their defense will be much better this year. They have better. I mean, Mason Cobb is good, but guess what? They brought in two all American linebackers, freshman all American linebackers last year, right? Shane Lee and, and, uh, and Gentry. And how'd that work for them? They, they had, the leading sack getter in all college football last season in two and two below two second round draft pick. They had a safety draft in the third round. We act like USC had no talent last season on defense. So I don't know, man, I don't, I don't buy the defensive resurrection. They play Washington, Oregon this season and go to nerd and go to Notre Dame. who will be much better this year. So they're going to win 10, 11 games because they're offense, but they're not going to be able to compete for a championship unless they fix their defense. Yeah. I think that they, most likely will have a better team than they had last year with the worst record because of yeah how much more difficult their schedule is. I think you think Lincoln Riley it's almost like he has a marketing problem, like a perception problem. I know that they focus a ton of resources and attention on recruiting those players, but the overwhelming national narrative is Lincoln Riley's great coach on offense. He's going to bring in some transfer guys, but his teams don't play defense. And he recognizes that. It's not like he's dumb and doesn't want to get better on defense, but I don't know that in recruiting they're ever going to be able he's ever going to be able to overcome that prevailing thought out there that they don't worry about defense. Recruits hear that stuff nationally. Um yeah, they do. Um I'm trying to pull up right now. I I I think that a lot of the issues with defense are about practice habits and what you focus on at practice, right? Um, you have to, you can't just say, I want to tackle better. You got to practice tackling. Like you actually have to, I was watching an Oregon video yesterday or today. It's a hype video. I get it. The team puts it out, but they're actually tackling at practice. They sucked on defense last year. They couldn't tackle. Guess what they're doing? They're taking each other to the ground. Someone might get hurt. It happens, right? But they're, they're physically practicing taking people to the ground. In, in like and 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 that matters to me. It, it still matters to hit people in practice. And I've not watched a USC practice video, but guys, I don't think they're live tackling in practice, right? In, in the I, spring, I what? can tell you this, Jeff. <laughs> we went to quite a few towards the end of the tenure there, obviously, and there were. 
nine on seven wasn't much of a thing. Yeah, you you they got went, it. They went away from some. You're just talking about staples of football practice. And and that to, to me that those things matter to your team and whether or not you're going to hit people on Saturdays. Um, again, they're going to out offense a lot of teams. Like Caleb Williams is. I hate comparing anyone to Patrick Mahomes, but he's that good. Like he is an incredible football player. Um, and he's a great dude. We've had, you know, we've interviewed Pacto media day, like the humblest guy, like he's just an awesome person. I think people are gonna really love uh, when, you know, kind of maybe nationally when we get to the NFL and people maybe get to know him a little bit better as a person, everything about him is great. I love him, but like they got to hit people in practice. I, I get it. You know, in the spring that in this spring, Lincoln Riley canceled a spring practice because they didn't have enough healthy players. But not because they didn't have enough healthy offensive defensive alignment. They didn't have healthy wide receivers and like running backs. Now they made the practice up. I think, I think they did make it up later. But like, you know, anyone else canceling a practice because of injuries in spring ball? Eh, you can't just like suck it up and get after it. I mean, right? Like, it, it, I remember one time in the NFL, um, we had a bunch of offensive linemen down with Kansas City, and I had played an entire preseason game, every rep of the preseason game. And I had to do every rep in practice the next day. Andy Reid was like, sorry, buddy. We're not doing, we're not changing anything for you. Like, we're just practicing. It's like what it is. You know, let's just suck it up sometimes in practice. Like, guys are beat up, they're hurt. Like, you just have to get it, get it in. Builds character. You can't stop and not practice because a couple guys are banged up. You have a hundred guys on a roster. Get a practice in. And like that mindset to me is not a championship mindset. Do, do, do Georgia and Alabama ever stop practicing because of injuries? Does Clemson ever stop practicing because of injuries? No. And, and, and again, they made the practice up, but that's not the point of, of what I'm saying, right? The point is like, you got a hundred guys. You have people to practice, just make it happen. Yeah. I'm, you know, there's, there's always the, like, how do we respond to bad situations? And that, those are things that you have to take those as it's a little bit of a, an opportunity to teach your football team something in a spot like that. Um, nationally, who are you looking for? Who's going to be the uh, the best teams we see this year? Well, I think mean, Georgia, obviously, it just comes down to this apathy. Like, do they care as much? And their schedule is a joke. Um, and they do. I think one actually football thing that's interesting is that they have had now two years of NFL defense, of like defenders, right? Like, you basically are bringing in a brand new too deep on defense like how good are those guys going to be how quickly can they play well that's a real thing i think that matters but the schedule it, it doesn't really matter very much um i actually think clemson's going to be back this year um they they finally decided we have to make changes on offense they went and got garrett riley obviously uh club going to be good i think in that in that system and defensively they're going to be really good again i, I think clemson's like a, a kind of a not a not won't sneak up on anyone, but a team that people I think like ah Dabble's lost it a little bit. I think mean, they're going to be back. Everyone's picking LSU. Um, it's it's possible, but Jaden Daniels he's got to just get to that next level, right? If he gets to that next level, then I think they're they're capable of of playing for a national championship. But they have to go through you know Georgia obviously and probably an SEC championship game and beat Alabama. Like it's you got a lot of things to do. Um, those are probably missions. Got to show me like they got to beat a playoff team uh, to make it happen. This thing about college football, isn't it weird? Like you're like, yeah, there's like three teams that can win it. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like uh, that's that's probably about it. Um, but we still love the sport nonetheless. It's my biggest pet peeve about how people cover college sports is that 
um, and and fan and kind of fans have been convinced that all that matters is a playoff berth. Winning ten games is hard to do, like it's hard to do. Go ten and two is a great season for ninety nine percent of college football programs, um, and yet somehow we view that as, as like a, as, a, as a negative as a negative, um, which I think is is really silly. Yeah, you you look at last year, Ohio State is a you know a couple plays away from going and playing for a national championship, and Ohio State fans are like. Should we start thinking about firing Ryan Day? You know, <laughs> it's just it it's a crazy sport, and that's why we love it. It I for one am shocked that you're not buying the Texas hype. Jeff, I know how much you love the Longhorns. Why what what have they done to to give me? I'm not a person that does the hype thing. Like you gotta show me first. I mean, they're not gonna lose that random road game they lose every year. Um are now Sark is doing as I mentioned what, what Riley was not doing. Sarker's doing that. He's getting high level off of defensive linemen. Their left tackle is incredible. I mean, he was he was coming to Oregon before Mario left. Calvin Banks, true freshman player, every snap last year. Like they're building in the offensive defensive lines. They're doing the right things, but they're not to be trusted until proven otherwise. And so um, I don't trust them quite yet to be that team. Um, if they if everything works out and they play better on defense and. Um, a quarterback emerges, whether that's you know Quinn Ewers plays like the Alabama game or like the you know or or, or Arch Manning's ready to go. They're, they're a very talented team, but they're just not to be trusted. I think they've won ten games one time since two thousand five. Like they, it's like you got, you got to prove it to me, man. Yeah. What about Clemson? Um, Clemson, Florida State, anything there with the yeah, other Well, I'm in, I'm in on Clemson. Florida State's interesting. I think we'll see with the LSU game, right? If they beat LSU, I think I'm in on them being able to to compete for championship. Uh, Jordan Travis is uh, a good wager for Heisman, in my opinion. Um, you know, he has sort of the play style that has worked in the past to win Heisman awards, um, and he's going to, especially if they beat LSU, his name is going right there immediately, right away. Um, so Florida State, I think, has a. But again, are you beating a Georgia team? Like, how do you have it up front? to beat Georgia. Cause again, we've seen many good offensive lines and running backs and quarterbacks play that Georgia team and just get smoked. And that's why LSU excites me because LSU offensively played pretty well against Georgia in, in the SC championship game last year. Defensively, they were a wreck, but um, if Florida state should be a, a, a 10 win team probably this year, them in Clemson. Um, and I just, I just don't know they're good enough to win a championship though. Yeah. Jeff, you're the man. We always appreciate catching up with you. Congrats guess, on your ducks. Oh, I guess being in Who one can, of the I, uh, super conferences. I guess whatever. At least I feel like we're saved. But like I don't know. I I, I didn't mind the Pac-12. <laughs> it'll all be okay, man. Yeah, it'll we'll be get fine. used to it. I'll get used to it. You're right. All right, buddy. See it. Take care. I I think Jeff's excited about them going to the Big Ten. I think. There's some reluctant uh, excitement going on there. It's just, it's going to be weird to to kind of figure it all out. And he's right. I love the the term you use, scar tissue. Just kind of knowing your conference and as a fan, knowing what you're going to get from each team and like how it how a team like typically plays and some of the old. Not necessary. It doesn't have to be a rivalry, but the history between some of the programs and what what's happened in the past. I mean, that's kind of the stuff we're losing with some of this. But it'll all you'll all you'll regain all of that wherever you uh, your new home is. Yeah, I hear you. Just things 
Things continue to evolve in college football. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week. But first... Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School represents a tradition of educational excellence in Oklahoma City. Grounded in a faith-based education, students prepare to meet their potential with an individualized academic path that strives for success. Bishop McGinnis offers a college prep curriculum that includes 22 AP courses, participation in OSS AA Athletics, where they've won over 100 state championships, and numerous clubs and organizations for students to join and grow. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. And attention business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica compares coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Insurica's goal is to help you avoid a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A dot com. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? Ah, You know, I feel like perhaps I've been hoodwinked with uh, with really good production and, and cinematography and perhaps script even to a certain degree. But I got to tell you, man, the Jets in night one of Hard Knocks how difficult is it going to be to not root for this team? I nearly impossible. How how diff- difficult is it going to be for other than Packers fans? Maybe uh, Aaron Rodgers seems like the coolest guy ever. I know. I, I'm, not, I don't, I'm trying to think. I don't even think I've ever met him. I played in, you know, played against the Packers, but not, did not walk up to Aaron Rodgers and go, "Hey, what's up, man." He seems awesome. The ayahuasca is that guy is in a good place in life right now. He's in a good place. I it's crazy to see, and I'm sure it's you know, even on his part, he would probably admit to this. You know, at Green Bay, I a fan base and an organization, you just get maybe used to it. I and, and and maybe the love is lost a little bit on both sides, but the, are are the Jets happy to have him on that team or what, man? Those guys, and so like some of those plays, whew. those guys, like you just all of them, they're just giddy, yeah, like little kids, because they think they can win. And in the NFL, let's be honest. At least half, it's probably more like three quarters of the teams out there don't necessarily like everyone says we're going to win a Super Bowl, but not very many teams actually believe it. But whenever a team like look what happened with Tampa, whenever Tom Brady first went down there, when you have that guy that's got the ball in his hands every snap and you believe and feel like you you can win guys play differently. They just do. Yeah, I especially when that guy. 
treats the narrator of Hard Knocks the way that Rogers treated Sharper. That was so God. cool. That was awesome. Like made all the other quarterbacks go say hi to him. It was that, that was tremendous. Hack it. He made hack it. He's like, go say, hi. go say hi. Go say hi. What are you doing? Don't be a jerk. Go say hi. <laughs> like he loves being. He's, he's never been to one of these before. Go over there. It's awkward for me. I don't know. Just go over there. Come on. Go say hi to the guy. That's yeah, awesome. I. That was awesome. I think that. Yeah, it, it's clear. The effect that when when you got one of the dudes at quarterback, just changes everything, man. It changes. It, it it changes the way you feel when you walk in the building, when you got a guy like that. It just and it, and it's clear. You can see it on Robert Sala's face. How about the defensive coordinator? They're going through the film, and he's just like, you know what? That throw, dude. <laughs> that throw like, was insane. And all the way across the field. And he's like, hey, that's our quarterback. That's our guy. Like he's like, there's one, there may be one guy on the planet that can make that throw, and he's ours. It's like they're they're all so excited about it. It's it's awesome. How about like it looks like this is going to be a, a life-changing experience for Zach Wilson, too. Yeah. Maybe like, just how, what he needed. How awesome is it to see a guy that is totally not threatened at all about you like come in and realistically want to help you and point things out and it just like that's very rare you know very rare you the one of the things and it's a subtle thing but you can just tell how advanced rogers is mentally like where they're going through stretch lines they're doing like the little jumpy jacks crossover, like soccer skip thing to start getting warm. He's going through plays. He's saying, Hey, remember, right? That guy off the side. Like, I guarantee you, Zach Wilson's never had anyone do that with him. It's just, no. it's just, it's a different level, man. It is. The the rumors of Aaron Rodgers' demise, uh, no. And let, you know, health is going to be an issue for him, though. O line. Right? That O line, I mean, there's there's some question marks. There's no doubt. Tackle position, like Beckton, got guys got to stay healthy. Yeah, that, that is that has been an issue. If they can keep him off the ground, they're going to be good. They're going to be real good. Number number one highlight of the episode: the defensive lineman calling it a carcucci board. Oh, uh, <laughs> he was trying to say charcuterie board. He, what do you call it? A carcucci. By the way, Sol- Solomon Thomas. I, I couldn't even hear the conversation. I was just looking at that dude like, oh, oh my. my God. Like, look at how this dude is built. And, ooh, Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner going at it every single day. High level. High <laughs> level. Fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I, I I totally could have fallen victim to cinematography here, right? And, and the voice of God, as Aaron Rodgers would say, but – Man, that was that's probably one of my favorite episodes of Hard Knocks that I've ever seen. It was fantastic. Yeah. It was fantastic. And I will say, Aaron Rodgers, he doesn't seem like a guy that would get into coaching, but he looked very really natural. natural with that headset on, huh? <laughs> Did he ever? Which that how awesome was that? The um like whenever he was standing there with Sauce Gardner and Darrell Revis came over and he's like Right, just to like, how cool is that? Like, you know, it's, I don't know, man. There's, it, it was, that was really cool. Yeah, really well done. I'm in. HBO, you've got me. I'm in. All right, who do you have as your loser of the week? 
Man, I had to go with the women's team. We haven't talked about it much. Uh, it was. Uh, can, uh, I, can I say yeah. something real quick? People that are like celebrating them losing, I don't get that, man. No. Sports is supposed to be where it, like the national team, we're supposed to, that, you're supposed to put everything else aside. And I know that, you know, some of the players on that team have said some things that really bother people. I understand that. But man, come on. It's, it's red, white, and blue, brother. You got to, Got to back the squad. You can't be celebrating them losing. I I don't get that, man. That that no. I just can't whole, get on board with that. Yeah, the whole situation has been weird, um, because it's gone from, gosh, one of the things we celebrated the most is how how dominant uh, the women's national team has been to, right now, a lot of apathy, and you know, I don't know that. That can happen whenever you've been dominant for a really long time, but there's also there's some change that needs to happen within that organization, and I'm not going to pretend like I know what that necessarily is as uh, as just a casual obser- observer of soccer. But I mean, there's there's a several things that are true. The rest of the world has cotton up. Uh, massively to where the United States is. And I, I don't, I think that maybe that they, some star power and keeping people around maybe too long has maybe hurt them in, in the development of that program in the, in the younger stages. I, I don't know, but um, it's not as easy just to turn around and start winning again as, as we may think. And, there's a lot of a lot of places around the world that have you know poured a lot of resources into catching up to the United States, and you know we we have hit that plateau. It's it's going to be interesting to see how they bounce back. Yeah, seems like completely new wave of players. Right, next time we see them in the yeah. World Cup, right? The which is good. I mean, that's healthy. Yeah, right. You need new stars. The sports. To come up. That's that's how it goes. Yeah, when your biggest event is every four years. That's that's sports, right? Rapino's gonna be gone, Alex Morgan gone. Like it's gonna be some new faces, some new stars. That I will say, what a brutal way to lose a game. Like you she saved it. She saved it. I know. And then like batted out, and she she was so adamant that I was adamant. I was like, no, 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 no. Here we go. What a say. And to lose it on the ref just like listening to the earpiece and then saying it was that was it was kind of anticlimactic what yeah like what's what's the call what's happening yeah and she did not signal she like did this like it made it seem like no good but but she was saying game over we needed we needed a major league umpire in that situation hockey you know when they go to the review they like point really definitive as as it's a goal like you needed something not just like I think the game's yeah. over. <laughs> the ref, the ref messed it up. She had a chance to really shine and get real, just real animated with it. Didn't do it. Mistake. Which I thought the U.S. keeper was great, not just on on that play, but she was really close on a lot of those. And like that was kind of the frustrating thing is like we had was it three like I think three like just unforced errors like it you just flat out missed, which is bad. Yeah. That's where this just in. You got to score goals to win yep. games in soccer. There's your analysis. Yep. There you go. United States women's national team. Not enough goals. Got to finish the opportunities. 
right? But gone fishing. Do we? Are you going to still watch the Women's World Cup? Yeah, I'll watch. I'll watch. Uh, I mean, there's I really another since. Yeah, but I'll watch whenever that it gets to the. Uh, when we start talking about finals and stuff. Semis. I'll I'll watch if it's on at a reasonable time. I'm just gonna be honest. I'll watch. Uh, yeah, I should. I should restate that. I'll catch the replay. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. All right, let's finish up with my winner and loser. But first. John Vance Auto Group has been serving Oklahomans for 40 years, family-owned and operated. They have nine full-service dealerships in Woodward, Miami, and Guthrie. No matter what your vehicle needs are, John Vance Auto Group has you covered. They carry domestic brands such as Ford, Lincoln, Chevy, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, Jeep, and Wagoneer. John Vance Auto Group's goal is to give unequaled service and to exceed customers' expectations in every way, which is why they have their lifetime loyalty program. And here's how it works buy a new or used car with them all you have to do is get all of the manufacturer recommended maintenance done at the vance dealership and if something goes wrong with the components of your engine transmission drive axle or transfer unit they're covering the repair cost it's a great deal you can browse their entire inventory or find the john vance dealership near you at vanceautogroup.com and first fidelity bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. Come on, people. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. All right, for my winner of the week, I'm going with my man Joe Thomas. Haven't done a haven't done a pod since I went to Canton for the first time and watched Joe Thomas get inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Hall of Famer number 369. Really? Yeah. Nice. nice. Very nice. I love so, that. So uh I wanted to take this chance to kind of recap the trip. First of all, this is what the dynamic was. You combine a bunch of former offensive linemen in the NFL, <laughs> right? Several of which played at Wisconsin or are from Wisconsin, right? Then you combine them with a bunch of people from Wisconsin, like Joe's lifelong friends from the state of Wisconsin. And oh my God, <laughs> everything you've ever heard about those people is true. A large people, a, a people that could absolutely throw down. Now, don't worry. I represented Oklahoma well. Went toe-to-toe. Stared stared the beast in the eye, and we we did it. But, Dad, I'm telling you, man, it was the Friday night, Saturday night, or Friday night, did all of Saturday, essentially, combo, was, was a grind. We got back to the hotel at 3 a.m., and that is the first time in a very, 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 very long time that I've done that. Ooh. It was... Whew, it was a it was a trip, brother. Wow, how about that? I bet you know I've 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 heard I've heard Joe Thomas can can have a good time. How oh my was, gosh. He, was he uh, was he different because of all of the festivities that he had to do, or was he, he just he was very busy, right? Like, yeah. Now maybe you, you just you got to wait till all the festivities are done, and then you really start getting after. Don't worry about Joe. He. He got to where he needed to get by the end of the <laughs> night. But the enshrinement day, it was awesome, man. And 
you know, I, I didn't know if we were going to ever have a chance to go do that again. So you're kind of soaking it all in. First of all, I had a very important responsibility on Saturday morning. I was, I was tasked with picking a breakfast place for the group. Nailed it. Went local. Nothing. There was, there's a bunch of strip malls around the hotel. We were saying, I was like, no, 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 that's not what we want. And it took me about two seconds to real realize I nailed it. Walked in. The first thing I saw was the big plastic Pepsi cups for water <laughs> and for yeah. soda. And then a chalkboard with the specials on it. Nice. Yeah. So I was like, okay, nailed it. And every waitress there had been working there for like 15 years, at least. <laughs> so I was like, I absolutely nailed it. Food was delicious. So I knew it was going to be a good day after that. Everything was so organized, right? They had shuttles that picked Joe's family and friends up from all of the hotels, took you right to the stadium, right? We had awesome seats on the floor there for the speeches. I mean, it was it was great, but shout out to the Haslam family for putting on one hell of an after party, right? Because it was a enshrinement a couple hours to recuperate, and then we went to a vineyard in Canton, Ohio, right? Got on a big bus, went to a vineyard and seafood tower with a Joe Thomas Jersey ice sculpture to keep it all cold, Ted. I mean, wow. we were, yeah, we were talking big time stuff here, man. Wow. That's awesome. I'm glad they put that on. How, so how does that go? Is there a lot of people that go to the, to the after event? Is it like, oh a, yeah, it, it was, it was really cool. Cause I saw a bunch of guys I haven't seen. Like since they came to my wedding, you know, guys that I played with in Cleveland, like guys I haven't seen in five or six years. And it was just, it was fun to, and you know how it is. It's like, it's like, you just go back in time man, and you're telling stories and you're having fun and you're, you're drinking. It was, it was awesome. Like Joel Batonio, who's still playing, he was able to make it like, and him and I, we, we went through the combine together, right? We were playing in the senior bowl together and just. It just seeing all kinds of different guys, seeing getting to meet guys that played with Joe in Cleveland before I was there, right? Some of the older timer guys. It was, it was fun, it was awesome, and the uh, the entertainment, right? That you're talking. There was like a whiskey tasting. There were cigars everywhere. There was a tattoo artist. If you wanted to get a real tattoo, did anyone get a tattoo? Did you oh, see get one. Oh, lots of people. Really? Yeah. Which I did. I was like, I'm good. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's interesting to think about. Yeah. Fireworks. I've never heard of someone having a tattoo artist as a, like, you know, I've heard of a photo booth at a party. Huh. Tattoo artist. Big time stuff. That's a way to make a lasting lasting memory. Yeah. I mean, Tyler Hubbard performed, right? Most people know him. He's one half of Florida Georgia line. He's gone, yeah. gone solo. Played for like thirty minutes. It was awesome. I mean, wow. just and <laughs> then the DJ took over, <laughs> and that's when things escalated. There was, and I don't know if this is a Wisconsin thing or what, but at one point, I don't know, maybe thirty, like thirty guys just shirtless on the dance floor, just pop the top. Jackets off, shirts off. Had a group of guys tie their shirts together, and then they started doing double dutch on the dance floor. <laughs> Ted, these Wisconsin dudes get—they were getting after it, bro. It was, 
it was, was just a the, fantastic there's time. usually a ringleader could you spot the ringleader oh yeah there are a couple of his childhood friends you're like those are the guys <laughs> like <laughs> absolutely but it was it was a fantastic congrats to joe and his wife annie uh, she she is spectacular but it was you know we we'd been traveling so much that when that trip came up we we're like oh my gosh here we go like can we do it and we had we had a blast it was amazing great that's great <laughs> devil yeah <dutch. laughs> Some... uh well all right for my loser of the week thought about going with the baltimore orioles what in the world i mean kevin brown they're they're play-by-play guy he didn't even say anything wrong all he did was present the facts orioles haven't been good against the race and for them to i don't know if suspend is the right word but remove him from the broadcast like people are rightfully absolutely roasting that organization and the weird thing is like the orioles are good this year They've got a great team. They're doing well. Why are they doing this, Ted? It makes no sense. I don't know. And maybe there's been something come out about it and they've explained it, but I I can't even believe it. I feel like there's got to be something else. Like we're not getting the full story. That's just because he totally said absolutely zero wrong. I, I feel like there has to be something else that, that we don't know about, but if it's true, like on its face, like that's what happened. It's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in my life. It's I mean, one of, on. it, like, and it, it feels like it had to be like ownership's call. Right. And that is soft. I, I, yeah, I, I don't even, I can't even ex- explain it. Like all he did is present the recent history. That's what you do before you play a game. What was the last matchup? What is the last meeting? What's the trend? When's the last time we won a series here? Like those are all standard things. Like when you put together a broadcast, like that's that's like in the bullet points of what you do. <laughs> I don't know. That's weird, man. It's so strange. Like the graphics, he didn't build those graphics himself. No. So everyone that was working on that broadcast was like, yeah, we'll just lay it out, then we'll play ball. And I don't. I don't know, but when you got your fans doing a free Kevin Brown chant at your game, not where you want to be, right? Especially when you're having a good season. It like there's yeah. a ton of positivity around the team. Yeah. I it's one of the weirdest things I've seen. Yeah. I don't understand it. Speaking of weird things, my my loser of the week. Washington Commander snitches. Do you see this thing about them complaining about Eric being enemy? Yeah, I saw Rivera say that he's had several players come to him about Bienemy's coaching style. Yeah, I I guess he I guess Eric Bienemy's being too much of a meanie to some of the commanders. Right? And they went and <laughs> went and, went and told Rod Rivera and asked him to talk to him. Uh, and Rivera came out and said he said some of the players were quote a little concerned with how basically how hard Bienemy's coaching him. I I saw this and I had to double check and make sure the article was real. <laughs> I I couldn't believe it. Ted, uh, if you're an NFL player, just go talk to him yourself. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's also, not only is it weird 
that that's how it how it happened. It's also weird, in my opinion, that Ron Rivera spoke to it. Yeah. It seems like an, an internal thing that you typically don't hear of. This just in, the commanders. A bit of a wild card as an organization, <laughs> even though I know still, they got sold, right? I don't, still, still gonna, it's going to be a while for some stability to show up. Yeah, but I uh, I know guys that played for Eric being and me, right, in Kansas City. That's him. They said that's how he treats everyone. They said that's how he treated Mahomes. He's going to coach you hard as hell. He's he's going to be very honest. But the good thing about it, and I think a lot of NFL players, especially guys that are towards the bottom of the roster, like he's going to let you know where you stand and what you need to do. Going to tell you like it is. He's going to give you praise when it's due, right? When you deserve it. And, you know, I'm hearing all this and I go, huh, that kind of sounds like a uh, great coach. So some commanders players, they need to, they need to figure it out. Right. You, you can still play in the national football league and get coached hard. In fact, that's usually how the great ones do it. Yeah. It is odd that, you know, the place he was just at and was coaching hard, uh, at has won a lot of football games. You got to wonder if maybe am I the part of, am I, am I the issue here? Maybe it's if it's me and my feelings and not so much the coach. I don't know. You you think a guy that's been the OC in three Super Bowls, right? Run, he's won two of them. You think guys would just let him do his thing. Right? Now there there's definitely a line. You know how it is. Right? There, there's there's a respect factor, and you you don't cross that line. Right? It it's not it's not like college. Right? Coaches and players in the NFL, it's now the the coaches are in charge there's no doubt about it but you you know how different that relationship is when you get into that league but i loved this quote from bnb they've got to understand we're in a grown man's business yeah you don't have to say much more than that like and he's not going to change the way that he does he had a lot of success doing it the way that he does it and no he took a risk and left kansas city to go prove that he can do it on his own away from Andy Reid and that he can be a head coach. So I just, I was pretty, <laughs> I was pretty damn surprised that what Washington had players complaining about it. That was going, going behind his back to the head coach to say, Hey coach, give him to well, be nicer. To I don't us. even know if they went to the head coach. Did they go to the media? Cause the media is the one that asked the coach about it. Right. I, I, the article didn't make it clear like the sequence of events my guess is that Rivera said something about like he got asked about being me said something about it then the enemy was asked about it then the players got asked about it like that's how I'm guessing that's how it went but I don't know well the 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 clip I saw of Rivera he was responding to a question about yeah I've had players come to me about his coaching style or whatever but I it didn't pick up like before that if he had mentioned. So I don't know. It, right. It's 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 odd, all of it. Yeah, but that's good. Sometimes those things have to be brought to the surface in order to to get it right. You know. Yeah. Still, uh, it's it's honestly just kind of funny. It is. <laughs> like, hey, he's 
He's yelling at me a lot. <laughs> uh, on that note, episode 343, long one. Long one, but yes. a good one. Long one, but a good one. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop on Sunday. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy on KREF. You can hear me from, uh, what, we'll be back to two shows soon on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great rest of your week. Have an awesome weekend. Until next time, we appreciate all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Another night.